As I prepared for this Sunday's service, we've been studying in the book of Luke for about five Saturdays at our home Bible study. And I was made aware of things that I had never seen before. And so I'm going to share some of that with you this morning. One thing is quite evident that as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior, this coming Friday, the 25th, one would have to say that this is the strangest Christmas season that anyway I have ever experienced. As I look out in the church this morning, there's empty pews because of the coronavirus. Things are changed in every way that we want to look at. And there is fear in every nation, a foreboding feeling that something the world over is getting ready to happen. Despair is apparent. On every hand, people have an inner feeling that we're entering an age that we're not going to be able to escape from and an age that is changing the entire way that we live. And this brings us to our scripture this morning. And what I was talking about, God showing me something. For the first time, I realized that when Jesus Christ was born, there was a an atmosphere much like we're living in today. There was fear. There was injustice. And when Christ was born, the condition and events fit exactly how we're living today. The political atmosphere as well as the spiritual atmosphere of things was great darkness. Remember, for 400 years... God had remained silent at the end of Malachi, and the first voice that we have in the New Testament after the 400 years of silence is when the angel appeared to Zechariah in the temple. And the first words that he uttered is, fear not. The the natural inclination of man is when things are awry is to begin to fear and and not knowing the, the way things are going to turn out. But The angel said, fear not. Now, in this period of 400 years, God was active if you were reading the prophetic signs that were in place at that time. It was during this period that language had been developed, the Greek language, that was the common language of the then known world. If you were going to be a businessman, you had to know Greek or you were you were out of it. And then there was another event that took place, actually the fourth empire that Daniel spoke about that was going to rule the world, took over, and Rome was in the road-building business. The, The saying that all roads lead to Rome was an actual fact. So these two events, the language that everyone understood, the roads that gave access to every place you wanted to go in that day, were open and ready to walk. The gospel was being prepared to take those roads to the various cities and such where Christ would be preached. You know, Psalm 76.10 says, Even the wrath of man shall praise him. And as we look at the events that are surrounding our study this morning, Rome had conquered the world And Rome had bludgeoned the world into absolute submission. You had no right other than the right that Rome gave you. It was a terrible period of time. 
kind of reminds me of how we're moving today when that you will be allowed to do certain things if you agree with the established power. We're seeing some changes today that's quite frightening. But if we know what God's word says, we know these things must come to pass. God was using these powers that then existed for the coming Savior. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them under the law, to redeem them so that we might receive the adoption as sons. The whole plan and purpose was that God was establishing the means that people could hear the message that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. So the time that God had chosen, remember that everything is moving according to God's time, please. Man is not in the saddle writing the events, making things happen. God is placing everything that we see then as well as today preparing for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. During the 400 years, things had degenerated in Israel in every area of the Jewish life. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 1 to 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judah. Now stop and analyze what that is saying. At the very beginning, when the time had come for Christ to be born, Herod, king of Judah, conjures up all kind of volumes about the political darkness that was over the land. Absolute power in this man's hands. He, he was a vassal of Rome, but what he requested, they in most instances would grant. And as you look at the family of the Herods, you are looking at the most wicked people you could find on top side of this planet. Herod was so power-hungry and paranoid about keeping his power, he was constantly fearing someone would usurp this power from him. This drove him to murder several of his own family members. His sons were not exempt. He murdered his wife, her brother, plus her mother, because he felt threatened by them that there was some kind of a conspiracy that would remove him from power. And did you know that that same spirit is alive and well today in many echelons of our government and areas of power throughout the world? They will stop at nothing. This, this kind of corruption, this kind of degenerate manhood is alive and it's working and operating in the day in which we live. And we are seeing the things set up, and they won't stop at anything to ensure that this power they covet and, and, and desire will be theirs. This was the political darkness Jesus was born under. Matthew tells us that he had all the baby boys under two years old in Bethlehem killed. That, that is beyond get wrapping your mind around. How could any individual kill a helpless, beautiful little baby boy because you, in the process, was hoping you would eliminate the one that was born king? He was hoping to destroy the Messiah. Have you, what a foolish, foolish thought that man can somehow interrupt 
the plan of God that has been laid out since the beginning of time. Not only was Herod a political power monger, he was also an illegitimate king. He wasn't even a Jew. He was an Idumenian, a degenerate reprobate. He had no right to occupy the throne that he set upon, but he was granted that through Rome. And there's a second area that, that is just as black and dark, and that is the darkness that settled upon the spiritual leadership of the nation. The high priest, this position had degenerated to the point where it could be purchased by money. It wasn't the spiritual character. It wasn't the order that God had ordained that the priest should be occupying the position of his authority and under God. He was to occupy that position until death. But because of the circumstances and the hour in which he lived, the high priest could actually obtain that position through money, through bribery. And the chief priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the spiritual leaders of Israel. Maybe we should look at some of these situations in the church, the visible church of Jesus Christ today to see where we're headed. Because just like these men, they were the leaders in Israel, but they had declined to the point to where the words of men replace the word of God. It overrode what God had written in his word to govern the people and their spiritual relationship to him. Worship had become nothing but petrified hardness of cold, harsh rules. And there's many today in the church that are governed by certain rules and regulations that denominations set into place. And by following those, they are assured that they are in the kingdom of God. The condition of these men shows in the way that they lived, in the way they despised the lower class people. When they looked upon an average man, they considered themselves as rank sinners. They went as far as as they would even sidestep off of the sidewalk if one was coming their way so that they would not be contaminated. This is the kind of rules and regulations that they lived by. They forgot that Habakkuk 2.14 says that the just shall live by faith. It wasn't by rules and regulations. It's not by rules and regulations today. It is a living relationship with Jesus Christ. There's no church, I don't care what you have over the door, is going to say we are the way and we are the truth. And if you come through us, you are assured a place, a position in the kingdom of God. When I was pastoring up in Kent, Washington, a couple drove up in the church parking lot. I was in my study. And I just had a strange feeling about these two men that got out and came in and knocked on the office door and came in and they looked at the library, the books I had behind my desk and said, hey, this guy reads the same stuff we do. But their motive was to inform me that if I did not belong to their church, that if I was not baptized by them, I was not saved at all. I was lost. 
they had the authority to baptize and this particular denomination alone and they wanted me to realize that. But as the verse says, the just shall live by faith. When Jesus started his ministry in Matthew 5.20, he confronted these individuals. He, he had a, it was always a run-in. There was never a good occasion when these men came against Jesus to entrap him. But Jesus told the people that he was preaching to at that time in Matthew 5.20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, they had a form of godliness, but denied the power thereof. It was all an outward show. It was all a play upon position, upon the type of clothes they wore, upon the phylacteries that you could see. And everything was done according to the flesh. These same people could name the town where the Messiah was to be born. It's always good to read Luke and Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus Christ. Because whenever the wise men came to inquire as to where the newborn king could be found. Herod called in the, the priests and those, the scribes that had the word. They knew what the word said. And they were able to report word by word that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea, according to Micah 5.2. Something very interesting about that is that you did not find one of these individuals enthusiastically and with joy rushing to Bethlehem to worship the Messiah. Remember, he had been promised at the very beginning of of the scripture where Adam and Eve fell. God promised that he would put enmity between her seed and Satan's seed. In, In Genesis 3.15, we have the first prophetic statement that God was going to send His son, born of flesh, becoming a man into the world. And these people knew all of that, but they were in utter darkness. They weren't interested in what God's word had said. That's hard to understand. But that's the spiritual condition that the nation was in when Jesus was born. And then the third area of darkness was the rule of Rome over the nation of Israel. They were living under the last empire that God had revealed to Daniel in the dream of the image that Nebuchadnezzar had constructed. And talking about the last world empire would rule, crush, it would destroy. That was Rome. They were very efficient in bringing nations under the sole of their feet, a blanket of darkness which covered the world at the time of Christ's birth. Does it sound vaguely familiar as to what is happening in our world today? As you look at, there is no nation that's not in turmoil over the political situation that's throughout the world. And we find that they are in the process, folks, of issuing a world government that will rule all the nations of the world. They are in the process of setting up 
a money system that is electronic in nature. You'll no longer have the dollars and the chains and all that goes with the freedom we have today. They can't check you. They can't trace you whenever you spend a dollar. They, they have no way of knowing what you're purchasing, where you're purchasing it from. But under this system that's going to be implemented very shortly, they can know every aspect of your life, what you like, what you buy, the things that entertain you. In fact, even today when you use a credit card, they know. They know what you're all about. (laughs) I kind of chuckle whenever I think about the, the many books I've bought through Amazon using the credit card. They know pretty well where I stand, what I think, and what I do because of the knowledge of the books that I have bought because I I love to read what great men of God has written about God's word. It's very educational and it's very uplifting and strengthening. Yet under these conditions, these extreme conditions, there was those who had the faith of God's word burning within their hearts that they knew because of the prophetic writings of God's word. They knew that God was doing a work. And so these people would meet together. They would talk together. They would discuss scripture. You see, regardless of what kind of a situation you live in, if you have Christ in your heart, they can't take that away. They can make you pay a price, but they can't take away the faith and the hope that you have when you stand on God's word, they can't erase that. God's word is going to be fulfilled. And there were those in that day. There was a remnant of believers who had the word of God living in their hearts, knowing God was going to keep his word. And that's an encouragement to us today. These folks in Washington, in China, in Russia, Turkey, wherever you want to look, these people are not in power. God is giving them the lead way to fulfill his word, just as he was doing so in the times that Christ was born. But these people met and they encouraged one another through through prayer, through study of God's word. And in Malachi 3.16, there's a scripture, and this applies to us as well as to them. It says, when they, then they that feared the Lord spoke often one to another And the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and thought upon his name. Now the people that Luke, where we're taking our study from this morning, in the first chapter there, the people of Luke, the first two chapters, represent the remnant that was true to God, that knew him, and that were saved through their faith, and were expecting the fulfillment of the first coming. The very names that are associated with these individuals speak volumes. The very name of Zechariah held great meaning. You see, when they named someone in that day, they did so because they had faith in what was going to be brought to pass. And Zacharias, his name means the Lord remembers. Think about that. 
the Lord remembers. There is not one iota of God's word that has fallen to the ground that hasn't been literally fulfilled according to what it says. Jesus said, think not that I am come to destroy the law, but I've come to fulfill the prophets. Not one jot or or iota or tittle, as it says, will fall to the ground before all is fulfilled. So Zechariah means the Lord remembers. Now, Zechariah had married a woman by the name of Elizabeth that was of the daughters of the priesthood of Aaron. And her name means oath or covenant. Though everything seemed to be going in the wrong direction, God was going to remember his covenant. God was going to fulfill the things that he had promised, the covenants he made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And so these people that had that longing and faith burning in their heart begins when Zechariah was in the temple and after 400 years of silence, an angel appeared to him and the very first word spoken to this man after all these years of silence was fear not. You know, as, as Christians... We need to be bold. We need to go forth without fear in our hearts. God is fulfilling what he has promised. Just as he fulfilled everything that pertained to the first coming of Christ. Friends, he is fulfilling those events that are pertaining to the second coming of Christ. And what we're looking at today, folks... These events that are being carried on right now in our day is pointing to the fact that we are entering into the end of this world's history. And I rejoice in that. I praise God that his faithfulness is going to be seen in our day. We are seeing it. We are testimony to the fact that God is fulfilling all that he has recorded I like what Dr. W. Graham Scroggie says concerning this event. He says that Christ is the focal fact of history. All history before him was a preparation for his first event. So as you look from Genesis on through the time that God spoke, gave the law, gave, gave the commandments to Israel, the promises, the covenants he made, All this was a preparation, a complete and factual preparation, detail by detail. And then, Scorgi goes on and says, for this was a preparation for his first advent, and all history since he came has been a preparation for his second advent. That's where we are today. We are following God's program to the letter in the events we see happening before our very eyes. Now let's follow the chain of events outlined in Luke. The angel appears to Zacharias and tells him that they are going to have a son, that their prayers had been answered. I believe they were praying for two things. Elizabeth was barren. They were in years, advanced in years. And in that day, people would look at you and associate your barrenness with a sin in your life, that you were living in sin, is why God did not bless you with children. So they had been praying that God would fulfill 
their desire for a child. But there's, a, there's another avenue of prayer, I believe, that was being lifted up. And that was that God would send the promised Messiah, the king who would rule, rule on the throne of David. They were, they, they were looking for his first advent. They, at that time, didn't realize that all the prophecies that were to be fulfilled would not happen until the second advent. But they still had that belief and that desire that God was going to fulfill the covenant, covenant that he made with them. He rejoiced. They rejoiced in what God had promised them. First, the angel appeared to Zechariah, fear not. And then that same angel was sent to the Virgin Mary. This was just a young girl. Some estimate that she was between 14 and maybe 16 years old. And the angel appeared to her and informed her that the fullness of time had come and that she was going to be the mother of the Son of God. God chose her. She was outstanding. She was full of grace. She wasn't above women, but she was blessed among women. And by the way, she gave consent to this. She said, be it unto your handmaid. And she accepted all that the angel had proclaimed to her that she would bear the Messiah. Then the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream because there were circumstances there that was very troubling. Here was this young girl, pregnant, betrothed to Joseph, and Joseph was troubled at what she was displaying. The, the town knew she was pregnant, but when the angel assured Joseph that this was by the miracle of the hand of God, he took Mary as his wife. He took her, and his purpose in life from that point on was to protect her, provide for her, and to become the stepfather of the Son of God, raised in his household. And at this particular time, notice the the timing, how that God is orchestrating every event that was building step by step, brick by brick, to fulfill God's promise. It says that a decree went out from Augustus, uh, Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered. And this was for future taxes. <laughs> they have a way of doing that, don't they? But at the precise time, he thought in his head, it didn't, he didn't think of it. I, I believe God put it there to cause every person to go to their hometown and register. Did you know that Mary and Joseph... And this was at the very latter part of her pregnancy, great with child, that Mary and Joseph had to make a trip of 90 miles to Bethlehem. And according to God's timing, they arrived just in time that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. That very night when they were there looking for a place to stay, there was no place The whole town was full because people had come there to register in obedience to what Caesar had said. Come and register because the taxes was coming from that registration. After Jesus was born, no one has been in a lower position than Jesus Christ who was born that day. In a stable, probably a cave behind the owner's establishment, the only place available 
but it was a place of privacy. They had a manger. They had straw that they could put in the manger, lay the newborn babe in that manger. And after she gave birth to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are then taken to a field where shepherds are watching their sheep. I want to read that from Luke's Gospel. It's very telling. It says that after she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and placed him in the manger because there were no place for them in the end, that in the same region there were shepherds out in the field watch, keeping watch over their flocks by night, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory, the Shekinah glory. Man hadn't seen that. Remember in Ezekiel, the, the Shekinah glory left. It, it left the land of Israel. But for the first time, people had now seen the Shekinah glory of the Lord. It shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And what was the next statement that the angel said to them, just as he said to Zechariah, as she said to, to Mary? He now says to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, news of great joy that will be for all the people. Friends, this is opened up to the entire populace of the world. It wasn't just to Israel, though Israel was to be the one that the Messiah would be born through. The group that, or the nation that God had set aside for the purpose of, through them, giving us the word of God, through them, the Messiah would be born. And so it came to pass, and when it happened, the shepherds in the field saw the glory of God, and they were fearful. But the angel said, I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And then it says... Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Who is God pleased with? It's with those that have accepted the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, taken him into their heart, been saved by the blood that he shed. That's who he is pleased with. And so when... We have Christ in our heart. We shouldn't be afraid because God is ordering it our steps. It says the steps of a good man or a safe person are ordered by the Lord. And so a Savior was born, which was going to be the Savior of the world. And they said, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and crying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So you and I that know Christ should have that peace that passes all understanding in our hearts because it's placed there by the living God. We don't need to fear what's going to be tomorrow. Jesus said that don't worry about tomorrow. Evil of the day is sufficient. Don't borrow from that which hasn't happened yet. But rejoice 
that God is in control of every facet of your life. I like what Pastor John has been bringing out in the book of Ruth, where she went to the field of Boaz and said, by happenstance, (laughs) that means in some people's book, that would be she just by chance, by good luck, stumbled upon the field of Boaz. No, there is no such thing as happenstance or chance in the life of the Christian. God does not operate that way. It says that the, in fact, when Zechariah was chosen to fulfill that order of standing and offering incense before the Lord, that was a once in a life happening. You, you only got that chance once because of the multitude of priests. And it said that by lot, he was chosen to be in the temple that day. And the angel came while he was there. By lot means that they shuffled, they put the names in a, in a, in a bowl or however, they mixed them all up, they pulled one out, and it just happened to be the name of Zechariah. It says that the lot is cast, but the outcome is in the hands of the Lord, and that's what happened. But anyhow, getting back to the, to the shepherds, it, it's interesting that shepherds in that day were the very lotus, the very lowest on the totem pole of society. It had come to the place of where shepherds were looked upon as being unclean. They had to attend those sheep seven days a week. They couldn't follow the rules and regulations that the Pharisees had written down that you had to follow if you were going to be a righteous person. They couldn't attend the feasts as other people could. They were, they were degraded to the point that they were not allowed to testify in court. Not because that was their real position in life, their, their real character, but that was because the Pharisees had produced so many rules and regulations that it made it impossible for the average person to follow all of the rules. And so these, these men were very looked upon with suspicious. They were, they were the very lowest. They were uneducated. Everything that the Pharisees held dear in their following of God, their rules and regulations, the shepherds were not able to keep. So they were degraded to the point that they, they were mere sinners. No hope for them. But who was it that God appeared to? It was the shepherds. I believe these men were God-fearing men. I believe that they had a burden in their heart that these lambs, these were probably the lambs that were watched over and would be taken to the temple for sacrifice. But they knew that, that the Lamb of God would be born, that would become the sacrifice. As you read Isaiah, uh, in the words there, that line upon line, the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled. He was taken as a lamb to the slaughter. He bore the iniquities of each and every one. He was despised. Everything that's said there, these men, I think, believed and, and followed the living God. So because they were followers of God, the angel appeared to them 
and gave them the greatest news that had ever been given to any man, that a Savior had been born. And so look at their response. He said, the angel said, in the city of David, a Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill among those with whom he is pleased. Then the angels went away from there. Look what happens here. The shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. Can you imagine the joy when they realized what God was doing at this moment? And they were faithful in proclaiming the news that the Savior had been born, that now then it's possible to be saved through Him. And it says, they made saying, they made known the same which had been told them concerning this. And listen, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. It was such a wonder, it's almost unbelievable. It's, as someone said, it's just, it's almost too good to be true because God has provided everything. All we have to do is embrace Him who came, lived, was crucified, died, and was buried and was raised from the grave and is coming again. That's all we have to do is believe. And it's the, Everywhere you read in this account, there was great rejoicing. And they were rejoicing because they were experiencing the Lord Jesus Christ coming the first time. I would like to close our lesson this morning. I always forget to look at the clock and I don't know how much time I've gone but or taken. But this is to those that know Christ that maybe in this crisis that the world's going through are living in fear. You don't know what tomorrow may bring. You don't know if you're going to catch this virus. You don't know what's going to happen in our government when it seems to me we have taken out of the treasury of our government's resources, given everything away, shut down the income that could be coming in. And just to look at it from a commoner's point of view, as mine is, looks to me like we're bankrupt. And these things can cause stress and anxiety. But listen to what Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 8 reads. I'm going to read from the Amplified New Testament. And he's speaking to you this morning, brother and sister. Rejoice in the Lord always. Delight. Gladden yourselves in Him. Again, I say rejoice. Let all men know the and perceive and recognize your unselfishness, your cons- uh, Considerateness, your forbearing spirit. The Lord is near. He is coming soon. Do not fret or have any anxiety. Mark that down. Do not have any anxiety about anything, but in every circumstance and in everything by prayer and petition, definite request with thanksgiving, 
continue to make your wants known to God. And it says in verse 7, And God's peace be yours, that tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God, and content with its earthly lot of whatever sort that is. That peace which transcends all understanding shall garrison and mount guard over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. For the rest of the brethren, whatever is true, and what we're studying, folks, is absolute truth. Whatever is true, whatever is worthy of reverence and is honorable and seemly, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely and lovable, whatever is kind and winsome and gracious, if worthy of praise, think on and weigh and take account of these things. Fix your mind upon them. When you fix your mind upon what God has promised, you're ready to face the future regardless of what it might be. God will take care of you. And then let me read in 2 Timothy 1.7. It's interesting what God has given to us, what we should take hold of. It says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of cowardness, of craven and cringing and fawning fear. But he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of calm, well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. This is what what we have in Christ Jesus. We don't need to worry about if the Republicans are going to be in office, the Democrats are going to be in the office. It's still going to move forward to where Jesus Christ will come again. Burst the clouds of glory. You know, I said when the glory of the Lord showed around him, do you know what the first thing that this world is going to see after this government is set up and the Antichrist takes his position as world dictator and authority and one to be worshipped. It says, Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and the tribes of the earth shall mourn. What is that sign? It is that Shekinah glory, that brightness that will precede the actual witness of Christ coming on that great white horse at the Battle of Armageddon, to break all powers and all the bondage that men are in, to shatter the kingdoms of this world. Did you? There's something here that, that fascinated me in closing. The fact that Herod went to such pains, such devious means to ensure his power. The scribes and the Pharisees, the high priests, they were in opposition to everything Christ stood for and said. They did everything they could so that Rome wouldn't come and take away their positions of power. And each one of these men seeking to maintain that which they had in this life kept none of it. They lost everything because they refused to bow the knee to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I don't know where you stand today. You're tuned in by 
electronic means. But time is running very short for this world. And today you have the opportunity, if you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you have the opportunity to accept this gift that Mary and Joseph laid in a manger, that the shepherds came and worshipped. Later on, the wise men came and presented gifts and worshipped the king. They bowed down before him. You have that opportunity to bow before him, open your, spread your arms, open your hearts, and accept what he's given. God so loved the world is in operation today. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's open to you. In John chapter 6, Verse 37 says, All whom the Father has given entrusted to me, it's whosoever will, will come to me, and him who comes to me I will not certainly cast out. I will never, no, never reject one of them who comes to me. This is what he's saying to you. I don't care what kind of a life you've, you've lived. I don't care how deep in sin you, you've become involved in. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin, regardless of which category you want to put it in. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 21, and this is to you this morning. And it shall be that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, that is invoking, adoring, and worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, shall be saved. One other scripture says, There is none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. And he extends to you this morning the grace that we don't deserve, but the grace that he purchased because he paid the complete price for the sins you have committed. And salvation is offered to you freely if you just reach out and take what God has offered to us. I'm going to pray in closing, and then Jennifer can come up and lead us in the closing worship song that God has placed on her heart. It's been good to be here this morning and to know that God can can move in, in the lowest of people, like the shepherds. They were the lowest on the rung of the ladder. And I don't care where you come from, what category you might find in, you can come to him. Father, we thank you that this word is simple. It's laid out so that a child can understand it. But it's so constructed that men must believe and receive it if they're going to be saved. Father, I pray that in the closing hours of this world's history, when things are moving at such a rapid pace, it's almost warp speed now, that the message is still going forth. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The rest of salvation, where there, that fear will not be there, that at the moment of death, when you step into eternity, you step in the very presence of Christ, if you know him. This is what God offers. And I plead with you this morning, don't let it slip by and not respond to what the Spirit of God is offering you this morning. Father, we thank you for these things. We're so grateful 
that we can gather as your people and worship you in freedom. We can worship you in spirit and truth. And we pray that this Christmas time that we celebrate, we celebrate his first coming, but the church of Jesus Christ is looking for that blessed hope, the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Bless us, Father, with your presence and and love. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.